Uh, yeah, look, I mean, there's just there's just so many which which pop up. You're never quite sure which is the the first in terms of uh, you know of uh, time zone, if you will, or timestamp. But uh, look, I, I I guess my earliest memories would have been in around uh, sort of three to four years old. Uh, very very happy memories, obviously. You know, uh, growing up in in Bangor. Um, you know, my my family was all very close to each other. So my my earliest memories will always revolve around very large family. Uh, family gatherings, uh, parties. We were wild for parties. Our family <laughs> name was known for parties. <laughs> so house parties were, were were weekly, if not you know a few <laughs> times a week, um, in terms of the family parties and family gatherings. And it was just a, you know it's just a real kind of whenever I talk to people here about it, it's just really uh, you know, kind of the, the Irish family feeling, if you will. It was very much large music, a few drinks. Uh, People getting getting together, telling jokes, etc. So it was just you know real traditional kind of feeling about it. But specific memories, I, you know, people keep telling me how I, uh, you know, my first flight. I think it was three or four years old. Um, you know, flying. I think we were flying to Jersey or something like that for a, a holiday, our first ever family holiday, um, and uh, you know, screaming and shouting about how I'm going to fall out the window, <laughs> um, <and laughs> having a fear of flying. Which uh, has not boded too well because uh, you know, I, I, before COVID here, I spent enormous volumes of time on on aeroplanes, so uh, that it didn't put me off that early fear, that early memory. That's good. So, it, did it ever come back? Did you ever have to kind of overcome that, or it's you know the absolute opposite, man. I uh, I I'm I love flying. I love traveling. It's just in my blood. Um, I uh, you know, as I say, I travel probably travel weekly before before the COVID situation, if not, uh, you know, a couple of times a week on, on different different parts of the world. So, no, I, 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 I have no, no fear of, of flying whatsoever. That's um, cool. my, my, I love flying, uh, particularly at the front of the plane whenever possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way we'll spin that then is uh, you're kind of a bit like Bruce Wayne and Batman. You've like embodied the thing you feared, you know, whenever he fell down into the well with all the bats. <laughs> <laughs> well, if only it was as cool. I've only had a cool piece of lycra to put on every time I go on an airplane. <laughs> Bro, I know, I know you're into like sports, but I don't know if there is a cool piece of lycra <laughs> to break. <laughs> not in your mid 40s anyway put it like that <laughs> that's unreal uh so for those of you who've just jumped in hello welcome to best of belfast uh we're the podcast that celebrates northern ireland and the incredible people in it you've been already hearing from and having a bit of banter with uh the incredible terry kane terry is a senior executive at facebook currently living in dubai and heading up the marketing strategy for the middle east african and turkish regions for all of facebook's platforms and services he also has published research for the world economic forum serves on multiple boards and is a regular speaker at international events and just on that terry i was just wondering uh what was the research on like what was even the department for the the economic forum Actually, this was um, this was part of a former role. Whenever I was uh, head of uh, digital strategy at, at a company called Jumeirah Group, um, Jumeirah Group uh, owns a, a chain of hotels. Um, most people will probably know it from Burj Al Arab, the seven star, you know, perceived seven star hotel <laughs> in, in Dubai. It's one of the it's one of the the company's uh, flagship hotels. Um, but we uh, we were approached by the World Economic Forum. Um, it must have been a good ten years ago. In my capacity there, as well as um, a, a lecturer that I worked very closely with here in Dubai, um, to do some research on the impacts of um, digital technology on on travel and the future of travel. Um, so this was kind of just a little bit before its time, if you will, in terms of digital 
transformations um, in hospitality in the travel industry. Um, and we put forward uh, the thesis that every, it was a pretty easy thesis, to be honest with you. <laughs> Everything's going to change and it's going to change in a wild way. <laughs> and uh, it was accepted and read out at one of the uh, plenary sessions uh, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, got a good 10 years ago or so. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a highlight. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not much of a bigger stage than that for uh, research. That's pretty cool. And uh, look, the conversation we're going to have, it's part of a collaborative series we're doing with the wonderful NI Connections. Uh, it's a six-part series where we're sitting down with six interesting people from the Northern Irish diaspora, that big term. Six people uh, from Northern Ireland living and working overseas to get to know them, hear a bit about their story and uh, share it out with... Uh, the people locally and globally that listen as well. So, Terry, I uh, I love that bio you sent through. Uh, I love kind of digging through and searching, you know, the Google and everything like that to uh, to see a little bit of what you're about. And uh, it's always like a wee nugget that I'm like, that is so interesting or that's so funny. And so despite, you know, 20 years in tech, you've got all like an absolute star-studded CV. And as if that wasn't enough, you also are just like a bit of a sports fanatic. Or I don't even know if maybe like adrenaline junkie is the, the maybe the better way to, to frame that. So do you want to maybe start there and tell us how you got into that and uh, what that's all about? Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I... Uh... You know, I, again, coming from a mad sports family, it, it's it, it's got to be in my DNA. It's got to be in my blood. Um, you know, growing up um, in Bangor, it was it was always a way to football matches, Gaelic football matches, hurling, whatever it might be, rugby. It was into every single kind of team sport that that could be going. Um, and then uh, then I moved uh, when I moved away um, first of all to England um, at when I was nineteen, I think it was. Um, I was uh, very much missing, you know, the uh, adrenaline, the exercise, the freedom that comes with, you know, being on a park and thinking of nothing else than, you know, what's in front of you. So I, I just decided one day when I was working in the centre of London to run home, uh, which was about 12 miles away, just out of the blue. Decided. I, think, I think I must have been hungover, to be honest with you. <laughs> Didn't have money for a taxi. You're like, oh, flip's sake. Okay, here we go. <laughs> There's been a few of those days. Um, so I put, you know, quite literally put one foot in front of the other. And, you know, a few hours later in the pouring rain um, in the centre of London, running along the Thames. It, very, it sounds very romantic, but it was horrible. Um, <laughs> I managed to, to get to where I was living. And then the next day I was like, okay, I'm going to put my shoes on again and I'll start running again. Um, so I ran into work and then ran home for And that went on for three or four days. And then I started to get blisters and the pain came. But the, the adrenaline was there. The rush was there. Mm. Um, so then I started to sign up for half marathons and then full marathons. And I ended up doing uh, ultra marathons and then multi-day marathons came. And, um, you know, everything just built up um, on top of each other. And then one day... Um, you know, I, I put a challenge out, I think it was to my brother Stephen at the time, I said, I'm going to do the toughest foot race in the world. <laughs> and there's nothing quite like a brother who's older than you <laughs> laughing at you <laughs> to, to say, no, you won't in order so to, to make you do it. So, uh, yeah, I took on a, a race called the Marathon de Sable, uh, which is a multi-day uh, marathon in, in the Sahara Desert. Um, and that was the first time I'd done it was uh, probably 15 odd years ago. Uh, maybe a little bit longer now um, and absolutely loved it um, and you know that kind of just that that's stuck with me ever since um, the the running and the distance and the escape uh, getting sort of mind space if you will um, far away from everything else and yeah stuck with me not doing so much the distances now but certainly getting out every day and mm. 
and still freeing the mind, going for a walk, no matter what, how hot it is here in the desert. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I think a misconception I had, maybe, you know, 18 to 21, I'd always look at kind of like corporate high flyers or, you know, successful entrepreneurs. And I always would almost say to myself, are these guys mad? Like, why on top of everything that they do, why do they do crazy things like play rugby at a high level or get really into ultra marathons? I think now, like, I'm starting to realize that this is actually, it's a form of fuel or a way to kind of re-energize yourself. So I wonder, like, how important is even getting out every day, even in the blistering heat, uh, how important is that kind of release or that thing that's detached from your work, for your work Uh and for your own well-being? Oh God, it's 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 got to be absolutely essential. Um, and and you know, I uh, the days that I don't get time to do it, or I, I make an excuse for not doing it, are the, are the, you know some of the worst days that you have. <laughs> uh, and God help anybody that's on the other end of the call. You know, it's, it's not their fault, but uh, yeah. you know, you you got to have the balance, and you you got to. And it's not just about the physical exercise, it's about the mental kind of uh, freedom as well of, of not being attached, dare I say, to a phone and not being attached to other people's conversations. And, and just uh, it's just about getting out and seeing and smelling and feeling a little bit, you know, of, of nature. And no matter how small the bite is, it, it will release, you know, all the, the stresses and strains of the day. Um, so for me, look at uh, I spend several hours, like most people do nowadays, um, on you know, uh, calls, video calls with work. Um, I think it's more important now than it is ever to get that mental health, mental balance by, uh, by getting outside, getting a little bit of exercise. No matter if you're running or walking, uh, you know, 500 meters or 500 kilometers, it's uh, it's just important to do it. Mm. And. Uh feel free to completely reject this because I'm not trying to force you down a direction, okay? But I'm curious, like, has that sport or exercise ever kind of helped as a relationship building tool in your travels or a way to network or a way to kind of embed yourself in the various communities that you've lived in and been involved with? Yeah, look, I mean, my my adventure sports are, they'll always be there. Surf, skate, snow, you name it, running, it's, it's just such a, it's a passion thing. Um, but team sports are always, you know, they're, they're part of the core as well for me. So um, I played a lot of Gaelic football. Um, St. Paul's in Hollywood was my local team. And then I played uh, Gaelic football in England, uh, both county and for local teams. And oh, then really? moving to Dubai, I played for Dubai Celts. We played in the Asian leagues. We played internationally. That's class. Uh, <laughs> and, then, you know, there's, a, there's, it's just a, there's just an enormous community um, surrounding Gaelic football and, and hurling Gaelic games, etc. So... Uh, you know, that, I loved the sport part of it, but also the, the sort of camaraderie part of it as well. Um, but also, you look, I, I lived in Australia for a while and it, it spurred me on to play Aussie rules. So I played second level <laughs> Aussie rules football, which I, I love as well. So I would also say Aussie rules would be up there for me. So the Gaelic football and Aussie rules and then obviously uh, soccer football is uh, it, it's not too far from my heart as well. That's awesome, man. Uh, so, I mean, talk to me a wee bit about that kind of school teenage or younger sort of stage of your life i mean from me not knowing you and from kind of taking a step back and looking at the big picture it seems that hospitality and tech have and kind of experience has played a big role in your journey but what sort of things were you interested you know as a kid were you interested in specific subjects did you hate school did you love school what did that kind of look like yeah, different phases for me, I have to say. And, you know, I very proudly and happily remember primary school in Bangor. I loved it. And 
um, secondary school or grammar school, I went to St. Pat's and Knock. And to be honest with you, I, I'd never really had a good time in school. I was never, I was never one to fit in. Uh, I was always kind of the the outsider looking in, if you will, in mm. terms of uh, you know uh, interests or in terms of you know what you know kids were doing then as such. I was uh, I was always trying to fit in, but never quite fitted in. Um, and school kind of you know done sort of done my GCSEs, kind of done okay with them, not great, and then. Didn't know what else to do, so done the A levels, and you know I'd done politics, history, and PE. Uh, sorry, yeah, politics. Yeah, it was politics, history, and PE at A level, and you know, scraped by two of them and failed the other one miserably. <laughs> and, and then I was kind of left as like, you know, what do you do now? So I went. Uh, I worked in a um, uh, a factory for a year. Uh, two factories. One was. Back in the day, it was Morphe Richards um, in Bangor. Was putting kettles together um, on on a production line, and the second part of it was um, I worked with my auntie in uh, an embroidery company in Bangor as well. So I was doing the badges for all the different uh, (laughs) uh, t-shirts and jumpers, etc. That would come in. Uh, and then the, the, both of those scenarios, I think, you know, if I'm being brutally honest, those are the two charged scenarios in my teenage years that kind of made me get a grip and say, you know, get out, see the world, mm. get a grip on education. Um, and then that's kind of the defining moment. I remember going to Bangor Tech um, and applying to do sports science. And the, the, the lady there is like, you have no hope of doing sports science. Your, degree, your A-levels are not strong enough at all what about tourism? And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's, do, let's do tourism. Um, and I went in and I absolutely thrived at it. I have wow. to say, I loved it. I lo- and, and things just started to come together for me. Math started to come together. Strategy started to come together. Business started, came together. Presenting came together. Um, I even, I was the first winner of um, uh, an Ireland award for hospitality education, which the first time was ever uh, one you know, in, in Bangor as such. And, you know, it was just, it was that moment there. I was like, I, this is what I can do. This, wow. this is, this is about me. And, you know, definitely a shout out to anyone that's struggling through school now. Don't, don't take it as the, uh, you know, the be all and end all there. There's definitely way more out there. That's awesome. I got to say like one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen in my life is an embroidery machine at work. It's so, it's like, like, I know it's like old tech now, but every time I see it, I'm like, mate, that is absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> these, are, these are things like 16 stations long uh, and you walk along and I still remember it today. I, I uh, you know, as, as, as much of it was an eye opener for me, enormous respect for all the uh, predominantly women that worked in the, in, you know, the embroidery uh, factory at that time. Um, but they would spend, you know, 12, 15 hours on their feet just, you know, doing, in fairness, pretty, you know, I wouldn't say mind-numbing, but not, not mentally challenging work. Totally. Um, not that they were happy doing it, but, you know, they obviously needed to provide. Um, but I was a pain in the ass there. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was a guy that was making enormous elastic uh, sort of uh, balls out of, uh, you know, anything that was lying around and bouncing them off walls. And, you know, <laughs> that was just a, I was a pain. But uh, I, I definitely enjoyed the, the experience uh, looking backwards. So good. Like, uh, do you reckon you've also picked up the ability, like, could you fix my kettle if I brought it to you? Like, is that a superpower <laughs> you have in your belt as a result of this experience too? <laughs> my, my suggestion is... Is that anyone that got a kettle from uh, from that brand in the uh, in the nineties is to put it away now before something happens? 
Yeah, massive, a massive recall. It's like, warning, this uh, kettle was made by a young elastic ball-making man. <laughs> I, I definitely uh, I definitely wouldn't advise... Well, I mean, production lines are production lines, so there's lots of sure. uh, health and safety uh, checks on it, but my mind wasn't at the job, put it like that. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, again, I'm going to make an assumption here, but tourism took you on a plane? Where did it take you? Yeah, so, I mean, p- part of... Um, Part of uh, the arts tech, uh, I'd done a HND in my early days there. I remember going to a, uh, a hospitality conference, my first ever conference um, in Uri. And uh, Glasgow was just one city of culture, European culture. And, and the guy that, that uh, ran that program, he came to talk to all of our students. And it was my first time in a suit and tie outside of weddings or funerals. So I felt, you know, felt pretty professional. And the guy's t- talking to us all and he's saying to each of us, you know, what do you want to do in your life? And... Uh, and I, was, I said, I, you know, I just want to travel. That's why I'm here in the tourism job, the tourism uh, degree. And he told me to pick a window. Uh, <laughs> he, was, he was fitting me out of it. Um, but, you know, that humor was, uh, was, was, was great. And, and that stays throughout hospitality. Hospitality is a passion for people. Um, so I uh, then took the HND and went to do a, a top-up degree in, in the south coast of England in Bournemouth. Um, and that kind of uh, led me to my first uh, job in England actually with a travel company called STA Travel, mm. a student travel company. You might know them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I was, I started by selling as a travel agent, selling travel. Um, between then and, you know, it's a previous jobs, etc. I was in, you know, hospitality. It was, it just got to the point where hospitality was, it was, uh, it was a job where you, it was no longer a job. It was people were there for life and I wasn't fancying working nights for the rest of my life. So I uh, decided to go into the, the tra- travel uh, uh, travel agents world, if you will. And from that, it lent, led to the corporate world. After uh, a couple of years, uh, I then took over marketing for STA Travel for uh, the UK and Ireland. And uh, then from after, I think it was about five years of doing that, I decided to slow life down, moving away from London, because London could be pretty, pretty mm. manic. Um, and I moved then to the New Forest. It couldn't be more black and white in terms of its <laughs> opposites. <laughs> and the New Forest absolutely loved it. I mean, I, I loved the um, the area. I don't know if you know it yourself, but it's a, it's a national park. And Not at all. I'll be honest. A, I'm Googling right now to see where that actually is. <laughs> it's a, near Southampton. Gotcha. Um, so it was, yeah, absolutely fantastic area. I mean, this is... Uh, so much history, so much uh, you know English heritage in it, um, all the way from you know the Henrys, if you will, um, <laughs> up until modern day uh, royalty. And there's just so much um, love for the area, and I, I got to work um, with some pretty spectacular people that were just enjoying life without needing to be in surrounded by you know the London kind of corporate lifestyle. Um, and then uh, yeah, after that, it got too slow for me. I have to say, mm-hmm. um, it was just uh, a bit too slow and. Kind of in in the background while I was working there as a as a tourism officer, I was also uh, building websites for these uh, small businesses that I met on a daily basis because I just I just got this inkling that it, you know I could do this and there was no teaching you know in, in universities how to build websites so I was doing everything off uh, you know books and uh, off YouTube if you know it was just in its nascent days then. But I was building dozens of these websites and people were paying me, you know, 100 quid a time for this. I was this brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was the start of the digital world then and the digital conversation for me. Um, and, and then it, I, my wife and I, who's from South America, 
uh, we decided that England, um, as you know, UK or Ireland, uh, were not on our radar. We wanted something a bit more, certainly warmer in terms of climate. <laughs> and then we looked around the world and kind of started to apply for jobs in Australia and Costa Rica and. Um, and then somebody said this this seven star hotel was looking for people, so I applied for it, and then the Dubai move happened about fourteen years ago. Oh man, that's unbelievable! So yeah. I, again, like kind of trusting you to lead this next bit. Do you think how important do you think was learning seals with STA? Like was that kind of the a hinge moment that has translated into? a lot of the other things you've done or was it the self-starting nature of building websites? You know, what was kind of something that really um, you apply in your day-to-day now, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I, I would say, look, I mean, I think for, for me, a lot of my, uh, I, guess, I guess, nature is about competitiveness. So I, I'm a naturally competitive person. Um, I, I would say that, you know, naturally competitive people and, and not necessarily naturally gifted people um, at all, but naturally competitive people work twice as hard to make something work. And I think that's probably mm. reflective in, you know, the peg ignorance of running ultra marathons. Nobody in their right mind should be <laughs> running ultra marathons, but it's, it's a challenge and I'm going to bloody do it and no one's going to stop me doing it. And, uh, and that, that determination has, has just been a natural part of my, my nature. But from a more, I guess, pragmatic perspective, I think that, yeah, taking on the self determination to learn something new that that no one else was going to do and for me that was was building websites and for other people that might be selling on you know amazon or ebay or something like that as a as a side profession for me it was about a side profession i got really excited about Mm. um and i you know i I do believe in the saying that if you know one percent more than the next person you're the expert in that conversation (laughs) (laughs) and and that, that that fared true for me because uh you know, when I moved to Dubai, I, I was arguably one of the most advanced um, digital uh, people uh, in terms of the, you know, the, the strat- strategic thought process that goes behind developing digital strategies and then the execution and then building content, building communities, etc. Um, all of these, all of these things I, I naturally taught myself. And of course, nowadays they have courses in university for it. Uh, but back then it was completely self-taught. Uh, but that next wave is is here, you know. For for people looking at, at this next wave, you, you're talking virtual reality, augmented reality, um, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. These are things which are are you know are still absolutely new, and and people can take it on themselves to have you know find a passion in and around that. And that's the next wave of technology, mm. um, where I was 15, 20 years ago. So as kind of the rest of the world has has caught up, and now you know most 16-year-olds, let's say, again, super broad brush, but for the sake of uh, time, can, you know, put together a website and there's great software out there. You know, people can jump on and use a template uh, of many of the uh, highly advertised website builders out there. How do you kind of stay sharp? How do you make sure that they're in at least one area or a few areas of your, your skill set, you do have that extra 1%? How do you continuously... Um, improve or, or you know stay ahead if that makes sense yeah no look I mean, there's absolutely no uh, there's no denying that it's, it gets more complex in terms of um, staying ahead of uh, the curve for everyone um, every day and then you know as technology rapidly advances the the complexity and the amount of information that's available to us um, far exceeds 
our mental capacity to take it in. Um, but but for me, I mean, personally, at, at my level now, where I get more deeply involved is in, in steering committees or, or in boards, uh, boardroom conversations. Um, I sit on a number of you know non-executive boards and industry steering committees, uh, and and that way I get more of the information that's I guess slightly more refined. Might not be the early stage stuff, but it's slightly more refined, and it mm. comes to me in a more uh, I guess packaged way. And then I'm able to for, for myself, I'm able to stay on top of uh, much of that conversation. And obviously, you know, working for a tech company as well. Uh, we're pretty much paving, you know, a large part of this path uh, when it comes to future tech and and future thinking around tech as well. So uh, I'm, I'm no doubt I'm, I'm in a very privileged position in terms of um, you know access to this information, um, but it's still a passion, and that's what it's got to be. You know, you've mm-hmm. still got to be passionate about what you're doing. So I don't I don't work any day. I, I live in a passionate world. So <laughs> for me, it's not working. It's a it's all passion. <laughs> that's awesome. And whenever you kind of say, you know, you used words like, you know, steering committees and that kind of boardroom um, world, that's a world that I have not even remotely tasted. So I have like very probably convoluted ideas of what that looks like based on movies <laughs> and other things like that. But if this is an interesting question, you know, if it's not just, you know, we can move on to something else that you think is. But what's maybe some of the most practical or biggest tools or advice or skills you've been able to develop in that world of human relation in that world of negotiation in that world of interfacing with loads of different cultures whether it's company cultures or different you know countries that kind of uh, boardroom environment is there anything that you've really upskilled in uh and if there is could you maybe start to pinpoint a few of them yeah, um, I, I think that there's there's certainly you know, looking at some of those um, I guess great classical writers and whether you know it's Lao Tzu uh, or Confucius, whatever it might be. Mm. You know, their, their sayings are, are based on on realities. It's just about understanding how to implement their their you know the realities in your own world. Um, but for me, um, I, I I love the saying that you know the ba- uh, the battle has has won before the fighting has begun. Mm. Um, and I think that that's very true in, in a boardroom. And I think that, you know, certainly in, in boardroom based decisions, if you're trying to put something forward that needs to move forward um, and you're obviously passionate about it, you, you're getting a buy in from key stakeholders long before that final kind of decision making moment in a boardroom. Mm. If you can imagine yeah. that's kind of suited guy sitting around <laughs> a boardroom, unfortunately, uh, um, you know, there's certainly a reality that needs to change. But, uh, you know, that, that kind of imagination um, we we uh, we normally have the conversations before um, decisions are made. So human relations, people to people relations, uh, getting buy in, um, getting uh, understanding and empathizing what people are um, referring to and, and where they're coming from, um, I think is deeply important in in getting stakeholder buy in. So and that's you know that's as much true as my relationship at home with my <laughs> seven year old daughter and my wife <laughs> as it is in a in, in any boardroom conversations. Yeah. Um, but look as well in, in terms of you know creating change, which is uneasy as well. I think that's important, and um, you know I think sometimes you have to stay determined so if you if you you know are deeply rooted and believe in something and you know you're you're empathetic to other people's views is stay true to to what you believe in and push for it but but do so in a way that brings people with you on on the journey 
rather than set them aside. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's that served me well um, over the years in, in, in various different different ways. And I think, you know, Irish people as well globally have uh, have a great ability to do this. You know, yeah. we are <laughs> we are definitely well accepted um, in terms of uh, being open to conversations. Um, and I think that's also I've played on that card a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard uh, someone said, I think because I lived in the States for three years and uh, something that someone would say to me all the time is you Irish have such a superpower of being likable. <laughs> and I, I actually, you know, initially I was like, okay, whatever, whatever. And then I realized this is legitimate. Superpower it's is the true. right word. Like this is a really valuable thing to have kind of uh, going for you. Do you know every single one of your podcast interviews and I've listened to an enormous and by the way, congrats on this is just a an enormous volume of really, really talented people. Um and some some heroes of my own from my youth are, are wow. involved in this. That's but awesome, uh, but I would say you know, you can't help but be smiling when you're listening to all of these stories. Yeah. Um there's 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 just not a there's not a negativity really within it and that's that's hard for you know to do that as a as every single one is just you know that's amazing and that's you know down to 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 us as irish people it's totally. uh, absolutely you know amazing awesome uh what was the move to dubai like um initially uh dubai was uh so we we came based upon a hunch um of a you know this seven star hotel was was amazing and it ended up. I ended up getting a job with a company um, called Jumeirah Group, um, leading their digital strategy. So my interview process was was this awesome experience where they flew <laughs> me over in first class and picked me up in a Rolls Royce oh, and yeah. drove me to Burj Al Arab um, and had interviews for three or four days over you know, various <laughs> you luxury hotels. You didn't get that at Morphe Richards, to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying to my wife on the first night, no matter what they're paying, we're moving. <laughs> And uh, she had never been to Dubai before and, and, you know, had heard various different conversations about it. But, you know, the the real life once you land here is, is not the same as the, uh, I guess, the, 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 the gold tinted experience yes. of the interviews. It's it, shrouded it, in it, urban <laughs> legend. And yes, there's people walking around with tigers and you're like, OK, OK, OK. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Uh, I mean, look, it's still even even, you know, 14 years later, it's still an absolutely awesome place. And I, lo- you know, to me, this is home. And it's got its, you know, people come in with its uh, perceptions and, you know, um, they've different, uh, I guess, newspaper views on it, etc. Sure. But Dubai has, has a depth. And once you get to that depth, and once you understand, you know, where the, the different, I guess, uh, parts of Dubai, it's like, you know, almost in a way like London, there's little parts of London that you keep discovering every day. Well, Dubai's like that as well. And every single day, I, you know, I get the urge to go out and find something new here. Um, so yeah, I mean, like home, home is Dubai in terms of where we live and, and where we're passionate about, but you know, your heart's always in Ireland as well. So <laughs> tor- torn between the two. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think something that we're really interested in, um, discovering through this series is because you have that love for home but also that separation from home i think you have quite a unique perspective like certainly more so than than me who's living here and working here and kind of you know in the the middle of the thick of it as such but how have you noticed northern ireland or belfast change over the years where do you think it's going and, and what do you think about that yeah, look, I mean, I know one of, one of the questions um, that, that you had on the list here was, was why did you leave um, home? Um, for, for me, it was, 
you know, for, for me, I was, I was never comfortable um, in, in Northern Ireland. I was never confident, comfortable there in terms of, you know, always feeling that I was, had to look over my shoulder, um, you know, and, and particularly when I got to my mid-teenage years and, you know, fights became a little bit more serious mm. and brawls became a little more serious yeah. and, you know, name calling began, etc. I was just, I was just never comfortable with it. So I was, uh, you know, quite happy to leave in my, uh, you know, 19, my 19th, I guess, uh, my 19th year going to Bournemouth. And then when I arrived in Bournemouth, you know, immediately the sense of not having to look behind you was, was there. Mm. And I, I recognized it immediately when I left um, home. But now looking back, you know, and, and when and I visit regularly, um, I'm there. Well, not, not at this moment in time, but I'm there <laughs> at least uh, once every couple of months. Um, you know, you do get this absolute passion for, you know, f- for for everything and it's about the people for for good and for bad it's about the you know it's about the culture for good and for bad everything's is real um and i and i miss that there, there's no there's no bullshitting people from belfast totally. you know it's yeah. absolutely 100 <laughs> percent real and you know i i, I have a, a real passion for that as well and you know I, I certainly try to instill as much of the the, the conversations, the realities, the history, the music, the sounds in my daughter, because she's, you know, she's a third generation or third nationality kid. Um, I want to make sure that she, you know, she understands um, and she can be part of, you know, the future as well, hopefully, um, if we ever do decide to, to move back. Um, so I, I miss so many parts of it. Uh, obviously, family's an enormous part of it and proximity to, to those barbecues or birthdays or... <laughs> Those madhouse um, parties, know, the cane house parties. parties. <laughs> <laughs> those madhouse parties that had the police around. No, I'll not say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, those were, you know, the, the, you, you definitely miss that uh, without a shadow of a doubt. And people getting older, etc. So you're missing, uh, you know, the various different family conversations. And I think as well, some of the more pragmatic stuff is, um, you know, I, I do believe that I could certainly be part of, you know, positive change uh, with my ex- experiences. Um, so it's how do I bring that back to, you know, back to home? Um, how do I be part of, a, you know, a positive trajectory moving forward? Um, and I think that's, you know, that's what all same people are looking for as well, mm. isn't it? It's, uh, it's about how do we, how do we all move forward? Yeah, that's awesome. How'd you get to Facebook then? Uh, what's, uh, what's the story there? Yeah, this, this is a, this is a, Another, everything makes sense looking backwards, as, uh, <laughs> as was once said by a very, very rich, oh. smart guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Andrew Trimble in his podcast, he's got this great thing where he says, uh, he refers to Captain Hindsight. And yeah. uh, I love that. It's like Captain Hindsight is all seeing. And of course he is. <laughs> it was, uh, it, it was interesting. So my, my role in, in Jumeirah Group, I was, uh, um, you know, chief digital officer effectively. I was uh, the senior executive in the company and running multi-million dollar projects and had a great team and you know uh you know such a an exciting brand as well but but look in fairness i have to say after seven years of doing that i kind of reached the peak of of where my career was in the company um so i started to take myself onto the to the road and this this is maybe some great advice as well for for younger people it's about your own personal branding um so I was uh, I, I put myself out into as many speaking opportunities as uh, as I could find, um, and those speaking opportunities range from my perspective on uh, you know a, a certain piece of technology or strategy or the future of or how, you know you know what you know, the learning kind of uh, speaking opportunities, 
Um, and then one day the, um, at a major event here in Dubai, um, I was keynote speaker talking about the future. <laughs> it was really boring, actually. I was talking about the future <laughs> of uh, analytical assumptions on whatever piece of technology oh, it bro, was. Send me the audio with that, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember what it was. It was that exciting. Um, but anyway, the, uh, it just so happened that the uh, Facebook had just literally just opened an office um, at uh, in Dubai, and the MD at the time, a guy called Jonathan, was was there in the crowd. He was speaking after me, um, and uh, so I'd done my my piece. I felt, I felt it was very good. You know, I, I practice a hell of a lot, as as anyone that's you know on stage should be doing. Um, so I was pretty confident. It was a good speech, and then I go off the stage, and and the guy says, "Well, you know, I don't agree with that," and I was like, "Well." Let's discuss that over a coffee. <laughs> and uh, we got uh, into a, a good conversation about, you know, my perspective versus his perspective. Um, and, you know, a couple of weeks later, he's like, look, I'm building a team here. Do you want to do you want to join us and lead, um, you know, this industry for us um, in the region? And uh, and, you know, I, I was really, really hesitant, I have to say, because, uh, you know, my my position at, at Jumeirah Group was 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 very senior it was uh it was a great company and uh, super exciting and the benefits were awesome as well yeah, <laughs> so my my family etc it's a, you know they they were really reluctant that i moved to facebook because uh they they got the benefits as well so all the free food and the free hotels yeah, no more seven star stays on the house <laughs> there is you know it was a bed and breakfast <laughs> um but uh you know i i you know, in reality, again, it's it's that future-looking conversation, and and you know, going back to the earlier piece on you know why did I start building websites with the future-looking? For me, this was the future-looking moment then, and so where would Facebook be in the future? And I started to do my my background research. I knew about it obviously, but then I started to do the research on the angle of what I could do within this company, um, and I got super excited by by where it was going, and um, I've took the job and immediately setting foot in the company I was overwhelmed by the the opportunity and uh, and tried to grab as much of it as possible to build and iterate and you know improve and build and iterate and improve um, and haven't looked back seven years later that's unreal man so so cool I guess to shift gears slightly um, I mean I, I I love like getting to this point in the interview because then you're just like oh my word like we've covered a serious amount of ground like there's been so many different uh <laughs> chapters of your life there and so many kind of different uh, opportunities and, and projects that you've been involved in to kind of tie into the stock questions here out of yep. all of that uh whether it's something you've said or something you haven't said what would you describe as the your greatest challenge along the way and if you don't mind sharing how were you able to overcome that? Yeah, they, uh, I mean, look, the, 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 I guess there's the standard kind of greatest challenges, the physical challenges. Um, those, those physical challenges, if you were to put it into the into that bucket, they're, they're easily overcome. Just train yourself, get better, train yourself, get better, and then <laughs> you will iteratively improve on one. Yeah. Um, but I think that those challenges are... Um, you know, as a standard kind of response to the question are, are physical. I, I think the, the more mental challenge for me in all honesty in career and, and bearing in mind, and I, and I fully accept this, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky, very privileged in, in what has been given to me and the opportunities that have been uh, provided to me. 
Um, but for me, the greatest challenge um, has been how do I take it from being a middle manager to a senior executive? Mm. Um, and what did I need to do in order to get there? And for me, that was about it was about learning and understanding and empathizing with other people's views of me. And that's really hard to do. And particularly in the middle management kind of world, I had this view that I was a technical you know, guru as such. Mm-hmm. And anyone that calls himself a guru, by the way, is <laughs> almost never a guru. <laughs> so that, was the that, first that sounds like one of those, uh, those very smart, like uh, John Zhu saying, just like, though <laughs> he who calls himself a guru is no guru. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was uh, that was kind of like that was a really hard. I applied for a job um, internally within this company, and it was a, another senior executive, it was a chief operating officer role. And um, the basically, I went through this recruitment, and I practiced. I'm a, I'm a talk. I really practiced this interview process. My strategy was written out of uh, you know gold ink as such. This this was going to rock the world and. I had done all of my kind of research, et cetera, went in and pitched to the CEO and the board and the chairperson, et cetera. And I thought the, the pitch was absolutely amazing. You know, I was so on a high. And then I didn't get the job and I was devastated. Oh. And, uh, and, uh, and then I turned around to the, the recruitment, executive recruitment lead at the time. And this guy, he doesn't know it, but he, he gave me kind of the, the greatest piece of advice that I've ever heard. And that is that perception is reality. Mm-hmm. And that everyone in the room had this perception of this hyped up little git <laughs> who was just overly confident and overly smart, uh, pretending to be overly confident and overly smart and just annoyed people. Whereas I was coming at it from this other paradigm of, oh God, these guys are going to be so impressed. So mm. perception is reality. And then, you know, building that empathy um, and building empathy and building empathy muscles um, was was that moment forward. So. You know, from that, I, I, I triggered myself into doing an executive MBA. <laughs> uh, that was the one thing that kind of was like I was lacking in my own self-confidence. I was, you know, from school, it took me five times to pass my GCSE maths. And I was going to I knew then I was going to apply for the, for the best MB, executive MBA that I could possibly do. And I applied for it. And um, I had to go through the phasing processes of GMATs and all these pre-tests uh, and then London Business School accepted me and I was I was suddenly self-confident again in terms of my uh, ability to you know get into education. And that really opened my eyes to the world um, in terms of what senior executive leadership is and what it's not. Um, and then obviously dealing, uh, I'd done that within Dubai, but it was it was uh, uh, the campuses were all around the world. So I traveled to, you know, it must have been 15 different countries either doing courses or doing uh, freelance uh, work with voluntary organizations, big corporate organizations, just exposed me to a, a world of um, reality, which I had been completely blinkered to before. And, you know, when I finished the, uh, finished the NBA look, and then I knew I, I, I knew what I needed to do to get to, to kind of the next stages. And that took a couple of years as well. Um, but, you know, perception is reality. There's absolutely no denying it. That was my toughest, most important mm. lesson in, in career to date. And then from that, knowing how to build a muscle called empathy. So is empathy, oh, I, I, like the, the question on the tip of my tongue, which I need to just spit out is like, how do you, how do you go about bending reality? Is the answer empathy? How do you go about doing that? Uh, you mean bending reality in terms of uh, making things happen or... 
Yeah. So, um, you know, perception is reality. How do you then kind of, uh, yeah, I don't want to use the word manipulate, but, uh, okay. uh, you know, influence that <laughs> reality to yeah. a, it sounds like the matrix, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> how do you, how do you go about either changing that reality or, yeah. um, conforming yourself to another person's reality? That, that's, you know, that's a super question because, because ultimately that's one, once you know, First and foremost, you got to understand what the perception is, and and that's the tough part. So for me, in that example of the interview, was you know I had the personal perception of myself, and then um, knowing that people had a completely different perception of me, it took me a long time to understand what perception is reality actually means. And I was like, no, no, guys, but but surely you can see my strategy. My strategy is here, and you know you got to understand that you're just not looking at it properly. But what they were looking at was me. <laughs> that, that was the hard part, you know. Um, so you know, you, there's in my mind, there, there's three things that you can do. Once once you understand what the perception is, that's that's the reality of the beholder. There's three things that you you should be focusing on. One is, um, do you want to change that perception? Um, is that perception a real perception from your from your view as well? If not, do you want to change it? Um, it might be a perception that is actually good, but it's 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 at its foundling stages, if you will. And then, do you want to build upon uh, that perception in terms of iterating it and improving it, or is the perception actually really fantastic? And do you want to maintain that mm. perception? So there's kind of those three areas that I focus on in most you know uh, conversations and. And particularly on personal branding, the toughest question people can go out and do is ask somebody to to tell them what their perception is. <laughs> and the toughest thing that somebody can answer is exactly that question is wow. what is the perception? And it's uh, it's it's often called hard love, but uh, we need it to improve. That's awesome. And so have you had to rely on some sort of mentor or coach or like a third party who's prepared to give you that tough love and that honest feedback rather than the the political dance of maybe you know people uh, who don't want to give that to you yeah look the, the, these these guys are really hard to find um mentorship is um and, and likewise you know being being a mentor uh, myself as well it, it's a uh, it's an enormous investment in time, but it's also it, it is exhausting because you are consistently giving out what you believe is is constructive, um, you know, po either positive reinforcement or constructive positive truths, if you will. <laughs> I like how you labeled that. That was deft. <laughs> um, so it, it's uh, it, it's uh, I've certainly found the one or two in my journeys that um, have have been that for me. Um, and and they've always been most sorry most have always most have been in um, in managerial roles as in my direct uh, boss, and you build you, you know you can build certain relationships with certain people, and mold them into mentorship versus direct management. You know you've got the direct manager that will tell you do this do that do this etc. Well you'll reach a certain point with, with managers where you know that they've got a. a a wealth of experience. They they got to where they are today. They might be one level above you or ten levels above you, um, but but working with them in relationships can just pay dividends in terms of figuring out how to to move forwards, um, how to have a reality check upon myself. Um, so yeah, what, one or two of these people have been absolute gems, and you know uh, I stay I still stay close to every single one of them today. To be honest with you, they're they're still my personal go to in in terms of. Uh, 
in terms of double checking and, and you know whether that be career path or whether it be situational um, or whether that be you know beyond the workplace in, in terms of you know what's happening around the world today or how to you know work with teams to manage uh, situations mm-hmm. so yeah invaluable whenever you find them hold them <laughs> that's so so good man um flip side of that original question then how about the the greatest success along the way or the most successful moment uh well uh, again i would flip you know on, on the physical side of things that would that was, that's an easy answer <laughs> F- finishing a marathon every time is uh, is great success so good um, I, I, you know what? I, I would say everything is combined. I, I don't think that there's necessarily one one piece that that truly says is, is above all others. I think they all form to make a part of the whole, if you will. Um, whether that be the career and individual successes in career, um, or whether that be educational, whether it be family, emotional, etc. Um, learning every day, and and for for me. The real success is, and I might sound really cliched about this, is that I know there's more to come mm. and I know I can do better. And, you know, I'm all on a learning, you know, we're all on a learning path and a learning agenda here. And I've I've got a, a bigger part to play in stuff in the world. Not sure what it is yet. Going to figure it out. And, you know, I, I need to get better in order to do that. Um, so all parts for me play a role in, in that next step and the next step and the next step. And, you know, my my favorite saying, actually, um, as one of my family said it to me, is, is is know where you're going, but never forget where you come from. Mm. And that was kind of the moment that I left Ireland. I remember my dad driving me down to the airport. And along those lines, that was the final, you know, the, the words that he said. <laughs> Again, a big romantic scene here, but I'm home every couple of months. <laughs> as he was waving the airplane off. <laughs> um, uh, but that was the kind of the moment where it was like, yeah, you know, and, and a few years later that struck home that, you know, this, this, you know, I have an idea of, of where I want to be. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Um, I know it's, it's, it takes time and it takes energy and it takes passion to build it. And I, you know, normally have three or four, five, maybe pots um, on the, on the cooker at a time. And, you know, two of them might dry out and three of them might stay exciting. And I, you know, then focus on the three and then move to the two. And then finally I'm at the one. Mm. And, th- and that generally guides me to the next step in, in career. So, all of all of that in a, in a short way is to say all of this is successful to you know even the even the even the mistakes are very much part of the success as well for me it's awesome are you ready for a couple of real quick fire uh, yeah go for it <laughs> okay first one if you could take anyone from northern ireland out for a cup of coffee who would you take them where would you take them and why Oh, Jesus. I mean, this is a uh, quick fire. Uh, Paddy Raff. Yeah, I think he's brilliant. <laughs> Unreal. Uh, where would you take Paddy? Oh, it would have to be somewhere in BT9. <laughs> <laughs> That's all brand. I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> um, Favourite takeaway in Northern Ireland? Uh, six Harp. Tell me about it. What do you get? <laughs> six tins of Harp. Oh, <laughs> I was like, what, a, what What food takeaway place is this? I've never heard of this. And then you're like, oh, that's his takeaway as it gets. See, it, that's his takeaway as it gets. It, it's, uh, I guess it depends where you're from. Uh, but in Bangor, a takeaway is also a six tens of harp in my books. A carry out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the more interesting question. Uh, what's your favorite carry out? You know, and ask it to all the guests. And they're like, a carry out? 
What am I, 14? Oh, okay. Well, this is actually my favorite one. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah, what the mad dog and six harp. <laughs> favorite place to get ice cream in Northern Ireland? That definitely can't get misconstrued. I'm confident about that one. <laughs> I can try. Uh, uh, no, it's, I grew up in Bangor, so it has to be Maud's. Maud's mm. ice cream is always number one for me. <laughs> What's your flavor? Oh, it's, back in the day, it used to be called Pooh Bear, but I don't know what it's called. I think they changed it from from trademark perspective <laughs> or something, but it was called Pooh Bear. It was the honeycomb one. <laughs> Corporate Disney came knocking. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I've said this before on the pod. I cannot wait to interview the Mods family or, you know, the people who are running at the minute and just ask them, right, is this urban legend true that Mickey Mouse literally came and tried to sue you? <laughs> High Street Banger, there's Mickey Mouse knocking on the door. <laughs> Unreal. Uh, so, kind of a bit of a heavier question, and you know, feel free to, to take time to, to answer this. Um, if you could jump in some sort of a time machine and you could go back to that 18-year-old Terry who is probably not really sure what's going to happen next... You had a few minutes of his time. What sort of things would you say to him? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, the 18-year-old Terry was a bit of a turd. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I would say, you know, all the mistakes that you, you make are are, uh, are definitely part of the uh, the quilt or pattern of life. Uh, so don't don't stress too much about the mistakes. Uh, we, we all, uh, it, it forms who we are. Um, I would probably say as well, carpe diem um, and grab every moment um, and say yes to, to everything and every opportunity because um, you never know where it's going to lead you to. Um, and I would also say to him is, um, you know, never, never forget where you come from. Mm. About five minutes ago, you said something that really uh, kind of triggered me. And I was like, maybe I actually need to start ending my interviews with a different question. Um, and it's, I suppose I used to ask this question and I rejected it because it was maybe a bit too typical, but I, th- I think there's, there's value in it. And so the question to end on really simply is just what's next. Uh, uh the, the, the future, um, what's next is, is definitely the future. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, one that moves forward and, and, and tries to be part of it and uh, tries to, you know, take it and, and, and shape it as, as best as, uh, as he can do. And look, for, for all of us right now in the, in the current situation, it's, it's, we've all got to reemerge from, from COVID. So, you know, how do we reemerge uh, from this, whether it be, you know, physically, mentally, um, economically, um, educationally? Um, I, I think, you know, for, for me personally, I think I've got a big role to play there. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's going to be challenging, um, but it's going to be something which, you know, I'll look back when I'm hopefully a grandfather and, and say to myself, I played a role within that and I played a role with, with helping the world um, reemerge from, you know, one of the, the, the greatest uh, pandemics ever known, um, known to the world. So that, that for me is the future. Beyond that, uh, I, I don't know. But when I get there, we'll have to do another podcast and I'll tell you what it, uh, what it looked like looking backwards. <laughs> well, I tell you, you have uh, confirmed the, the test trial of that question. That was, uh, that was awesome. I, uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh, you probably will hear that 
come up again in uh, in future interviews. So uh, thanks for going there with me. And, no worries. Uh, yeah, man, in general, just thank you very much for um, giving up your time. It was uh, really class to, to get to know you and, and hear all the stuff that you shared. It was super awesome. Likewise, man. And, and you know, the uh, the name of the family parties, uh, it was actually my mum's side and they were called Thompson. So uh, oh. you, you, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> it runs in the tribe then, eh? <laughs> there might have been some kin there somewhere along the line. Oh, man, that's so awesome. Yeah, it's like you're almost afraid to, to dig, it, dig a little deep into that because you realise how connected everyone is, right? <laughs> yeah, no, if I, you know, it's, it's good. we're so, it's such a small place. It's got to be two degrees of separation. <laughs> that's awesome man so um yeah thank you very much for listening i I really appreciate you hanging out with uh terry and i for the last hour or so there i just i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed that i mean there's some nuggets here i I love that idea of if you know more than one percent than the other person you are the expert uh something that jumped out to me there terry um you had this great wee phrase and i suppose as someone who's primarily a writer i'm always collecting scraps of of sentences i just wrote down here dubai has a depth i just thought that was so nice i was like mate that's like a great name for like a podcast or a novel or a movie so i don't know if there's a best at dubai but uh work away man there's got to be some (laughs) some territory (laughs) there you could somehow sneak into your uh your hectic schedule I, I think maybe there's a requirement for you to fly out here every couple of weeks in the first class and stay in Virgil while recording these. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, if there's a seven-star hotel stay in it, I would be tempted to start it. And I'm sure my uh, my wife, Jackie, wouldn't object either. Uh, another great thing go. I loved there was that whole idea of um, perception is reality. Love that idea of a guru who calls himself a guru is no guru. And just, again, that we scrap. It wasn't even something you focused on a lot, but this idea of turning managers into mentors, I thought that was really, really great. So, um, yeah, I really, really appreciate that. And thanks for everything else that you shared. And thanks again for your time. Uh, absolute pleasure. And honestly, I hope uh, you're, you're, you'll be my guest if you ever do come out to Dubai. Legend. Same here. Whenever you get back, I'll uh, I'll show you around Omar Baths and uh, get, you, get you some <laughs> coffee or whatever it is you fancy at the time. Love to. Love to. Thanks right, a million. Cheers, man. And yeah, if you'd like to check out uh, one of the the other six incredible interviews we're doing as part of this uh, series with NI Connections, you can head over to our website. There's a wee mini series page. You can click that and uh, you can discover some more incredible people just like Terry who are living overseas, doing incredible things, uh, but are still proud to call this place home. Hi, I'm Rebecca, creative at Lines and Current, an online jewellery and accessories brand. And I live in East Belfast with my husband, John, who also works on our business with me and our three kids. I like listening to the Best of Belfast podcast because I really love to hear the nitty gritty stuff that comes with those types of unfiltered conversations that Matt has with his local guests. I'd say my favourite episode was probably that one with Grace Chambers, the 91-year-old parkrun record holder. I think for us... um, we really like what Matt is doing and we've loved supporting what he's doing. Um, he seems to just be shining a light on the Northern Irish people, community and exposing all those untold stories. So yeah, if you've been on the fence about joining the Producers Club and you'd miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't there, I recommend you consider joining today. You can do so over at bestofbelfast.org and I look forward to seeing you in the WhatsApp group soon.